Before we begin, this podcast talks about mental health and well-being, so take care while listening. We hope you enjoy listening to and learning from the podcast. The discussions we have are general in nature and do not take into account your own or your workplace-specific needs and circumstances. Therefore, it is not meant to take the place of specialist advice. Hello, welcome to Workplace Wellbeing Natters podcast the podcast that talks about wellbeing that works for the health and community services sector. Join us on this episode as we talk about kindness at work. So what is kindness in the workplace? What are the benefits? And also how can we extend kindness to both ourselves and others within a workplace context? And I'm very excited to have a guest speaker today, Joe Sahi. Joe Sahi is the founder and executive director of Social Health Australia. As the chairman of the Bendock Cemetery Trust and director of Earth Funerals, Joe is working to bring about Australia's first standalone restoration burial ground. Formerly a Jesuit lay minister and Peabody award-winning journalist, Joe is also founder of the Green Burial Council in the US and a senior fellow at the Environmental Leadership Program. Before we dig into our content today, I would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on the land of the Gunai Kurnai people and to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the demand for services currently being experienced by the sector and that this impacts everyone in different ways, including contributing to poor mental health and wellbeing outcomes. So we encourage you to be compassionate to yourself and others. Okay, so let's dig into today's content, Kindness in the Workplace. Welcome, Joe. So I'm wondering to kick us off, whether you could just tell us a little bit about what Social Health Australia is and does. Social Health Australia is a uh, DGR charity that is helping bring forward new ways of providing what I guess is best termed uh, subclinical social, emotional, existential support, primarily to people who are impacted by social isolation, loneliness, and uh, severe emotional distress. And we do that really by helping connect people to the community to provide kindness and compassion. So we are here to talk about kindness. And I was lucky enough to recently attend the kindness retreat that you coordinated, which was fabulous. Kindness It's a word that's often bandied about. It's in our uh, local language. It's quite colloquial. And we all think we know what it means. But what does kindness mean? I think of it as sort of unadulterated, unconditional benevolence. And it's different than compassion, which is really about the act of suffering together. Kindness doesn't require one person to be suffering. It can be given to anyone. And really, kindness is a very deep, evolved instinct to be able to, I think, get through difficult times and see that what we're going through is part of our shared humanity. But it is, you're right, it's thought of as something that's eh, inconsequential, but it's a powerful, powerful thing. 
and it has enormous potential uh, in reducing feelings of loneliness. We've discovered especially existential loneliness, which is really associated with meaninglessness. Nothing brings meaning to someone's life than someone rocking up without any agenda just to be there because they're a decent human being and because we're all decent human beings at our core. And so what about kindness then within a workplace context? So what might be some of the nuances there? It's interesting because I I was uh, saying I had never heard of any KPIs tied to kindness, but on our kindness retreat, social health patron uh, Hugh McKay suggests that actually there are some organizations that are setting up KPIs. Kindness, I think, in, in, in an organizational context, provides a way of really changing the culture and making people feel like they're working within places that allow them to be heard, allow them to be their authentic selves. You know, many institutions don't necessarily bring out the best in, in some people or they don't seem to act in, in, in ways that are humane because they're really focusing on, on other outcomes that's not to say that organizations are inherently evil. It's just that I think when we gather together, sometimes as entities, we we behave differently and than we do as individuals. But I think there is a role, a big important role for kindness in the workplace, especially when you think about how much work-related stress is impacting people. And um, kindness, which can be simply the act of letting a person feel heard, you know, fully heard, can really do some incredible things for the culture. I was just brought into a situation at one organization that wanted me to help provide well-being support because they thought it was good for the organization and might also reduce the kind of claims they may see. You know, when people aren't heard, that's when lawsuits sometimes occur and and OH&S claims happen. So, I think that there's definitely a role for kindness. And really, if, you know, culture is hard to shift, but we've learned that it happens from the bottom up and it happens one person at a time. And if people commit to being kind, they can really, I think, fundamentally change an organization. Absolutely. And I like what you say in relation to it sounds like anyone can do kindness and to initiate and generate some change within the workplace. Well, this is the thing. We've, I think, done ourselves a disservice. If you think about how we evolved and Darwin explored this, talking about the role of compassion and natural selection and and, and empathy or what he called sympathy, we've been outsourcing this to professionals and even people in the wellness space sometimes make us feel like we have to have a certain level of expertise to do this work and, and training and a credentialing framework. This is pretty simple stuff at its core. There are, you know, certainly need a need for competencies in other realms, but anyone can do this kindness thing. It's more of a commitment than a competency, I think. Absolutely. And so it's about individually having the commitment as well as the organization as a whole as well and looking at how they can perhaps embed kindness, do you think? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's to me, it's an incredible antidote to bullying. And, you know, we have high pressured work environments. One of the things that isn't discussed by a lot of my colleagues who work in the workplace well-being space is the role of work-related stress in making employees unwell. 
we have really high pressured environments, even in government and nonprofit organizations, and we can make them better places to work by making them kinder places to work. I agree. And the research on kindness is really interesting because it benefits the person being kind. So let's call them the the giver in this instance. It benefits the person in receipt of that kindness. So we'll call them the receiver. But it also benefits people who observe as well. Such an excellent point that that it it, it benefits everyone. And today there was an article I read on the ABC uh, website about volunteering dropping off over the last couple of years. I know in the space that I had been working in before, pastoral care volunteers are no longer able to do that work for different reasons. And people are dropping off and there's this disengagement. But I really think it's so important. In fact, I have a friend who's not traveling particularly well right now. And I want to say to him, he's, he's someone that really struggles with doing things for others. And I thought, you know, be of service, feel what that's like, you know, and get out of your head and um, experience all the the joys and difficulties, but the meaning and purpose that go along with being human, like the way we, you know, we're designed to be. That's what I think the real problem is, you know, in many ways, we're living in, in a world that seems very unkind. And so we feel like, you know, there's something wrong with us when we want to express those tendencies or we're going to look weak or, you know, but when you really experience kindness and you see its potential, you mentioned that kindness retreat. And one of the things I was struck by small group of people, but because it was small enough for people to sit at the same table, breaking bread and having conversations, there was a really beautiful bond that took place with people from different belief systems and different takes on politics and vaccinations, but everyone left to their own devices in that sort of setting wants to connect at this human level. And it happens naturally if we just allow it to occur and come together for a bigger reason. In that case, it was to really explore kindness. That's that's what really can happen to us. And that's what I hold. We need to just reclaim some of this, the, the, these ways of being kind that have been usurped, sometimes outsourced. And, and that's really what social health has been trying to do. We're saying this is the work of the people. People need to be vetted. <laughs> they need to be trained and supported sometimes, but we don't need to make more of this. I think that, as you say, it, it's beneficial as much for the giver as it is the re- receiver. So we, we want to get more people out in the field having a crack at it. Absolutely. And we know that the receiver and even people who observe those acts of kindness are more likely to pay it forward and to show kindness and to have pro-social behaviours towards others as well, not just the person who's extended kindness towards them. So you did hit on, I think, a really interesting topic if we come back to the workplace. What are some of the barriers to kindness? Why don't we do it more? Well, it's funny. I was reflecting on this and I was thinking about this book Jim Collins wrote where uh, I think it was built to last following up on good to great. And he was talking about organizations that have long-term success have these CEOs that tend to be, they tended to really deflect praise and they, they take on criticism and responsibilities. They act in very kind and generous ways. 
And so we want to have employees that feel the same way. But oftentimes people in work environments and some work environments, they're competitive. Um, it's one of the reasons people don't talk about work-related stress with their colleagues and their managers, you know? And so we have a competitive environment rather than thinking about helping pull each other along. It's funny. I saw something the other day watching a television show about my favorite football team in the States. They're an awful club called the Detroit Lions. They've won one playoff game in my lifetime, but they're on a documentary series that HBO is putting out. And they had a um, a coach who was being interviewed by another coach. And he was, they, these guys were teammates. And um, the, the guy went out of his way to say, Brian Westbrook was the running back talking about this other running back, Deuce Staley. And he said, when I was a rookie, he took me under his wing and he, and he helped me in a way that no one wanted to do. And he said, you know, guys don't do that. And he said, I know he's going to be a great coach. So him being genuous and helping people that he didn't have to has led to this career where he's about to become a head coach. And I think that happens long-term, you know, if we can pull each other up, that's how we evolved. That's how we, you know, you look at the indigenous communities prior to colonization, there was so much collaboration and connection, you know, they weren't rugged individualists. They knew that they needed each other to survive and get along. And so everyone helped one another. And we need to do that too, but we get lulled into thinking that, you know, we're needing to be tougher and more competitive. It's funny, I saw someone speak with Hugh McKay the other day from a corporate environment, and he was brushing off being tainted by kindness. And I, that just really struck me. You know, we want tenacious corporate leaders and, you know, we allow ourselves to think of this kindness as almost a weakness. And it's not that at all. Kindness takes a lot of courage, by the way, to really use it in a pervasive fashion, not just conditionally or situationally. The people who are the most kind uh, that I've met are some of the most courageous people I know. But in, in workplaces, I think we need to bring people together for a bigger purpose, a bigger cause. And good, good leaders, good managers do that. And when you do that properly, I think it's it, it allows people to be more collegial and, and, and kind toward one another. I agree. And I think it's really interesting. I've been thinking about the not-for-profit sector over the past, you know, 10 years, let's say, and the introduction of things like the NDIS, so the National Disability Insurance Scheme, and this mission for not-for-profits to really be more for purpose oriented and to be have more formal processes and more of a focus on KPIs and transparency and accountability. And I think all of those things are great to a point, right? Because we need to be accountable for taxpayers' dollars. We need to ensure we're getting outcomes for the people who we serve. I wonder though, whether in that uh, organizations have become, some organizations more narrow in their focus and really delineating and defining their lane in terms of their scope of practice. And I think back to, you know, the kindness that I've experienced, especially when I've been unwell or, you know, a patient within a healthcare system. And it's often been those little things that people have done that have been outside their lanes. So they didn't necessarily have to do it 
But it was like a gift because they went out of their way to do it and it was unexpected. Any thoughts on that? What do you think? Well, I've been observing over the last 15 years or so the way some people have behaved in the nonprofit sector. And I thought it was more of an American thing, but I've seen it here too. They're starting to assimilate what they think, you know, organizations uh, should do, you know, to be successful. I experienced an act of unkindness, several by someone who worked in the charity. And a colleague of this person said that, you know, sort of not to take it personally, I could expect this person to be brutal in the defense of her organization. I thought, really? Brutality? And, you know, I know it has a place in the world, but in the charitable sector, in, in in this case, but, you know, it's easy for that to happen because we're great assimilators. I spent some time years ago working with these Jesuit liberation theologians, and they used to talk about this historic truth that people who are oppressed will become oppressors if given the opportunity. It's just what we do unless we're working something else. And so it's it's natural when we look at our political leaders and, and corporate leaders lobbing grenades at one another of, you know, why shouldn't nonprofit leaders do that, right? That's what you do. You take someone's legs out. but. It doesn't have to be that way. And the way we can change it, which is really exciting to me, is that we start with ourselves from the bottom up, one person at a time, and we build momentum and we display kindness and we embrace it and we commit to it. And that's how we're going to make the world a kinder place. That's how organizations are going to be become more kind, at least until those KPIs, uh, those kindness KPIs catch on, which I still want to learn more about. (laughs) And I'm really intrigued by those kindness KPIs. I think that kindness would be a great thing to, to have a measurement around because we tend to focus on what we can measure, right? Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, I can see that a focus on kindness would be a positive thing. I just wonder though, if you have to be kind and if you're measuring kindness, does that diminish it in some way? It's interesting because I know, and Hughes talked a lot about this too, not wanting to have a kindness credentialing framework or, you know, making it ubiquitous rather than making it seem like this competency that needs to be, you know, um, uh, someone needs extensive training for. But I think what happens though is, you know, our muscles get atrophied a bit. I always point to this story. I live in a co-housing community here in Brunswick and the people that design these, these, these um, intentional communities, when they first built them, they weren't sure uh, they took some things for granted because everyone wanted to live interdependently. Right. But what they discovered was that if left to their own devices, even people who wanted intentional community, they would get out of their car, get their mail, put their head down, make a beeline for the door. Cause that's what they learned to do. Right. So they started to have to de- design these pedestrian paths that meandered where you'd have to peek in windows and bump into neighbors. And they had to create these ways of it, having people fall into, you know, meeting one another and seeing each other. And that's sort of what I think needs to happen a little bit with this kindness muscle. You know, if we're told that we have to focus on, you know, productivity or whatever the desired goals are at all costs by any means necessary, we get what we get. But I think visionary managers understand that 
that culture is such a difficult thing to change. And especially when it comes to a culture of well-being, right? We all can be competitive, but there's no reason why a competitive workplace can't be a kind workplace. You know, we can do our best work when we're treating each other decently and supportive of one another. And there's all sorts of evidence for this. It's interesting from a creativity innovation standpoint. I studied this years ago when I was doing a research project. When we get together groups of people and are there for each other, we do incredible things. And you look at Paris or Berlin last century, for example, people weren't stealing from one another or keeping things really close to that. They were they were sharing and inspiring one another. And that's what can happen, you know, and that's what brings out our best because we're social animals. We're not meant to live as rugged individualists. And this is what I think is making us so sick, thinking that we're supposed to just want to acquire wealth and want to just, you know, be by ourselves to be in our bubble, happy by ourselves and happy, isolated. You know, we're just we're not. What you've said around kindness and culture and bringing out our best within a workplace is really important. And in my mind, I had a very visual image of the paths kind of meandering around and, you know, people bumping into each other. And And I wonder if we need to create the workplace equivalent of that, you know. So what would the workplace equivalent be? 20 some years ago, I, I spent a year in IBM's lab studying creativity and innovation for a research project. Fascinating opportunity. I had a chance to talk to their top technologists. And I was really struck by the way, you know, people would be working on very difficult problems like how to teleport a photon or, you know, I mean, they were doing fascinating things and they would have whiteboards and they would have people that would meander in and, and, think about things that they would be invited to talks, you know, and, and oftentimes, you know, there's so much serendipity involved when it comes to big breakthroughs. You look at how that works. And some people, you know, it wasn't too long ago, I think it was Yahoo that stopped. They had a big push to get people out of companies in, you know, into their homes. And then they realized they were missing these moments of serendipity that from an innovation standpoint uh, made a lot of sense. But I would say maybe from a kindness standpoint too, you know, that connection, we do our better, our best thinking sometimes with others. We don't think about that, but we inspire one another's thinking. And in fact, it's very difficult for people to come up with an innovative idea if they don't have a really big connection to their domain and their colleagues, you know, very rarely is someone working as some lone maverick it just doesn't happen. We learn from one another. We inspire one another. And there's tremendous kindness in that. Uh, there's also a leap of faith, I suppose, that in, in this case, I'm mentioning those are people who are working at the same place who are helping one another. They were all doing their own little things. But I think it's very telling that in workplaces, for example, I know this for a fact, and you've probably heard this statistic. The average EAP within an organization is used by about 3% of a workforce, right? And when you drill down and talk to people, there's a tremendous fear that things are going to get back to someone because they connect it to HR and they don't know what's going to be revealed or, you know, it's not probably a rational view, but we know 
that people don't tend to want to talk about some things, especially work-related stress at the workplace. And so I think there's tremendous potential for external entities to come in and, and hold space for people to do that confidentially. It's always made me think there just needs to be a better way of letting people access support from one another and make people feel that we're doing this together. Something's wrong in an organization if people really feel like they can't help a colleague. And I know this, you know, talking to people, you hear about things where people are so Machiavellian and they're so strategic because they know that they're, you know, they're, they may be competing with that colleague for a promotion, right? And they, they're they going to be careful about how helpful they're going to be. To me, it's about there's the cost of doing business as a kind person. And once in a while, it means, yeah, you might not get that promotion or someone may take advantage of you, but your world is going to be so much richer and you're going to be such a healthier and happier person. And I'm willing to take that chance. And I know I, occasionally I'll get burned but I'd rather be that way than be paranoid and not be able to extend and receive kindness because I know how, how important it is to our, our own personal health and well-being. Absolutely. That's such a great point. And so it does take courage sometimes to be kind and also can take courage to accept a kindness from others as well, I think, to be both mm. the giver and receiver. And yet the benefits far outweigh the costs, especially if it's, we're thinking about long-term benefits as opposed to, you know, the short-term costs as well. That's right. We can. We need a the right mindset to be able to access it. I did some work, compassion-focused therapy, and they talk about the pillars of kindness in compassion. We need to be smart. We need to be strong, courageous, and we need to have this kind, you know, attitude. But I know a lot of us, we have our deficiencies, you know, so we have to work on certain things. And for many of us, yeah, receiving kindness is really difficult. So how do we go about flexing our or building up our kindness muscle then, Joe? Like, especially in a workplace, what are some examples that are time effective, cost effective? You know, if we're starting from the bottom up with each individual, how can we be kind to others? Well, I think one of the best things to do in a workplace situation is to allow people or organize people together in groups to do what might be considered ongoing reflective practice or some instances community of practice, you know, really figuring something out, but talking about the joys and difficulties associated with work, not only has it been found efficacious in uh, mitigating the effects of secondary traumatic stress, but I think it builds bonds and it builds trust. It's a really easy thing for companies to do, for example, you know, and bring someone in to do it. There are any number of people or it can be peer led, but it's a chance for people to come together. I think we need to figure out a way to allow people within workplaces to talk and not about what they're dealing with and not be afraid. And to do that, as I said, confidentially, I know there's there's difficulties around that. But if everyone's holding everything close to the vest and they're paranoid about extending information or, or being vulnerable, I think the organization's in a lot of trouble. So that's one thing. I think individually, we can do things to sort of develop a kindness practice or mindset. I also did a mindful self-compassion course that was really wonderful over eight weeks pretty accessible. People can do them online. There are compassion-focused therapists who also can do this work with people. 
but we need it in our consciousness because if we don't have it there, we fall sometimes victim to the dominant paradigm, which, which is in an organization that's not so kind, that's what we assimilate into. And uh, I think it's more imperative if you, if you find yourself within an organization that has its challenges that you go out of your way to be working some program so that it doesn't get to you because it does. And you feel like you're not at the right place. And if you can flip that, you can empower people to think I can have an effect on this organization by at least changing myself and the way I interact with others, you know, that's really empowering. And um, that sort of agency can be fostered, I think. Mm, so that sense of agency and also autonomy that I can have, I can make a difference on the workplace or the world around me. Yeah. That's right. And that's all I could control perhaps, but mm. that's a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And so sometimes it's just extending a kind word to someone or giving positive feedback or being the person that brings in a cuppa or muffins or, you know, it can be really a whole range of things, can't it, that can make someone's day brighter. I think the easiest thing to do, what my colleague Annie Whitlike likes to refer to as shut upness, is to simply be present. That is one of the kindest things you can do, especially to someone who just does not feel heard, just lending your ears, just doing being present for a short time. It can really it can really change a person. We can all do that. And that's the thing we think that we have to. Oh, what am I going to say? You know, we see this. I see this a lot uh, in the end of life space when it comes to grief and loss. And people are really concerned about what to, you don't have to say anything. You just have to show up and be there. You say nothing. I've seen the most amazing things happen with the fewest amount of words. And I've had people say, I, I don't know what you did. I was present to whatever you were going through. I gave witness to that. That's all I did. And we can all do that. That sounds like a fantastic note to finish on, Joe. I'm just wondering, though, in terms of Social Health Australia, where can people find out more? Well, they can come to our website at socialhealthaustralia.org and we're always looking for ideas. We're always looking for volunteers. We're trying to plug people into different opportunities in the community and we'd be happy to entertain anyone um, and have a conversation about plugging them into anything that they might want to explore. And that's how some ideas have come to us. People just picked up the phone or shot a note. So I would encourage people to get in touch if they want to put kindness into action and, and um, are looking for an opportunity to do that. Fantastic. Joe, thank you so much. It's been wonderful to talk with you this afternoon about kindness in the workplace. Thanks for having me. As usual, we have packed a lot into this episode. So let's do a quick recap of our natterings. Joe, what an amazing guest and speaker, took us through kindness in the workplace. So what it is, the benefits of kindness in the workplace. We meandered down a few laneways with kindness and did wind up with some practical strategies. And as usual, we will have links and resources in the show notes. We've so loved connecting with you and sharing insights into kindness in the workplace. 
And we want to know what you think or have been inspired by any questions you would like answered or contributions you'd like to make to the podcast. So leave a review or contact us via matters at workplacewellbeingnatters.com.au if you would like to explore how we can help you on your journey to submit a case study or comment for us to include in our podcasts. We look forward to next time. Thanks for joining us and bye for now.